where to start. Let's start here. The last time a beloved creature in your life, whether of the two or the four-legged variety, did something that made you want to cringe from embarrassment or disgust, how did you respond? Did you tell your dog, you are a good dog, but you made a mistake? <laughs> or did you blurt out, you're a bad dog? <laughs> the difference may seem insignificant and humorous when speaking of our pets, but when speaking of humans, it makes all the difference. In our, is our story about a man with a disability, blindness, or is it about a blind man? Can we allow this biblical person to be more than his perceived difference? And do we allow people to grow and change? Or do we pin people into boxes and categories, labels and stereotypes that remain static? As David Lose from Working Preacher says, when Jesus comes into our lives, things change. That sounds good until we realize that change is also disruptive. And then we wonder whether the change even when it promises new life, is worth it. The Gospel writer John uses a metaphor to discuss life lived fully, abundantly, flowing and trust, following and trusting Jesus the Christ. He calls this way of living light. And yes, the darkness is life lived without Christ, separated, alienated, isolated, and deadly. What strikes me is how obvious this passage also reveals what author Brene Brown calls a culture of shame. I'd like to suggest this morning that shame is at the heart of this darkness, both 2,000 years ago and today. Throughout Lent, Joanne and I have been referencing the book Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Brown is a shame and vulnerability researcher who is well known for her books and a few TED Talks online. Let's begin this exploration by defining a few terms. Brown defines shame as the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. I'm going to say it again. Shame is the fear that we are not good enough. Shame is not guilt. She says guilt is just as powerful, but its influence is positive, while shame's is destructive. Shame erodes our courage and fuels disengagement. Guilt can be positive? Yes, it's like this. If I feel guilty, I recognize a mistake has been made, and I want to make it better. With shame, I become the mistake. I let the mistake define who I am. For instance, did you tell a lie, or did you become a liar? Are you a good dog who made a mistake? Or are you a bad dog? It's human nature to feel shame from time to time, but living in shame is a different matter. Shame leads to blame, judgment, disconnection, disrespect, betrayal, numbing, in essence, darkness, and death. These actions damage one's ability to allow love to grow. Shame can become deadly when it becomes isolating and debilitating for people like children and people with disabilities, who, by their very circumstance, must be dependent on others. 
So let's apply some of this to our text. Right out of the box, the disciples ask a religious question about where to place the blame for the man's blindness. Who sinned? They asked Jesus. But Jesus refuses to assign blame and shame to this man or to his family. Who sinned? No one. This was not the expected answer. There are plenty of texts in the Hebrew scriptures that one could use in this conversation. But not today. Not in this text. Some look at this text and interpret Jesus' words to mean that this man, like all of us, was born to show God's love in the world. This man, like all of us, with whatever differences or imperfections we all have, we are meant to show God's love in the world. Then Jesus steps toward the man, touches his eyes, and then leaves. He exits, and our man born blind washes away the mud from his face and becomes a man with sight. It's interesting, though, that he is still known by his disability, even to this day, to my own sermon title and to the heading in most of our Bibles. He is named by his perceived deficit, the man born blind. No name, no possibility to be something else and escape the shame of the label. So just to be on the generous side this morning, let's remove that label and refer to him as the man who can see, or the man. After the healing, the entire drama between the man and his community revolves around shaming, blaming, and scapegoating. There is not a joyful response to healing like, say, gratitude and awe. No rejoicing by family and friends, no party, no let's celebrate my son who was once blind but now sees. Friends and acquaintances are not sure they recognize him. Is this the guy we've been living with on the streets? I don't recognize him. Hey, Joey, does he look right to you? No. No. People disconnect. I don't know him. Is this our son? Yes. But we don't take any responsibility for him. We are not responsible. We can't be blamed for whatever just happened. Talk to him yourself. The community falls apart in fear and in shame. The Pharisees are good, God-fearing, powerful leaders, and they were probably scared to death. A man was cured. They did not know what to make of the day's events. So they begin to try to cover it up. And that is another reaction to shame. Who is to blame for this anomaly, this healing? How do they explain it to themselves? How can they explain it to their people? What is God doing? And how could God go against the Sabbath rules? The rules are here for God, aren't they? Surely, we know what we are doing. Surely we are not blind to what God is doing in our midst. These are not comfortable questions. If only they could move the attention away from their own distress onto someone else, like, say, a person who broke the Sabbath rules. Sadly, judgment works like this. We look for someone else, someone less than us, to criticize, to call the attention away from our own discomfort. What is so uncomfortable for the religious elite of the day? How about a roaming, sinning, Sabbath-healing, 
grace-dispensing maverick of a man who keeps throwing them curveballs. The secret to Jesus' success? God, of course, who shows up wielding vulnerability, transforming relationships, and doing it in his own way. The finger-pointing begins. And at the center of the conversation is the man who can now see. Did you notice that he doesn't play along with the Pharisees? It seems that he does not define himself by his previous disability. At least he does not go along with the blame and the shame. Rather, he speaks courageously and truthfully to the Pharisees. He actually seems quite resilient to the harsh questioning and the threat as well as the eventual event of being disowned by family, friends, and his religious community. This man who now sees is honest and vulnerable. He admits he does not know exactly what happened. How can he? One moment he's his typical self, and the next some guy is putting mud on his eyes and directing him to a body of water. Then his life turns upside down. He sees for the first time. And his community turns upside down in response. But maybe not in the way he had hoped. He doesn't show signs of shame. Instead, he shows courage and truth-telling, which are actually anecdotes for shame. They are signs of vulnerability, which, according to Brown, is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper or more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Vulnerability is not the opposite of shame. It is a tool to help us be resilient to shame. Vulnerability is the path of light in the darkness. It's a hallmark of Jesus' ministry throughout the Gospels and even here in John. For Jesus reaches out to people who are considered unclean, unworthy, different, and sinners, and he touches them. He turns towards others rather than away. And Jesus, in the end, comes back to the man who sees, once he realizes this man has been kicked out of his community. Jesus transforms lives by helping people feel their worth and their worthiness. When we are treated with this kind of vulnerable love, when we believe we are worthy of such love, then don't our lives and hearts shine brightly? Isn't the reason we fight shame the reason we work to be in the light? Isn't it because we long to live with the lightness of gratitude and joy in our hearts? Jesus disrupts our patterns and offers us a new path in this story and today. Jesus shows us how to engage the world with courage, love, gratitude, no matter the difficulty in our path, just like this man who's regained his sight. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to go through all that the man does? That's for you and me to decide. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Because change is scary, and transformation terrifying. And it is no wonder 
why we can become less than our best selves and stay in the darkness or encourage others to stay there with us. But whether we feel like the Pharisees or the men, the man or the parents, we are all worthy of God's love. Hopefully we can let go of the feeling of unworthiness, let go of the shame for long enough to realize this simple truth. And may we learn to live courageously in the face of shame and love ourselves and our neighbors for who they are in this moment standing before us. For to practice love this way may take all that we can do to recognize and respond with grace and love. Amen.